God, thank you for this awesome time we can spend together. Thank you for this amazing day. Pray, dear God, that you would move in our hearts that, to think about what we can give up. Something simple that really we won't even remember. But that pig farmer and the people who work with him and the people who will start their other farms because of what we're doing and the spread of that will transform people's lives. So give us an opportunity, Lord, to sacrifice something. Give us an opportunity to change people's lives. And we love you and praise you for that opportunity in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So if this sermon goes a little bit longer, all right, if you have to get somewhere then I, and you get up, I won't, I won't be offended, all right? But I also don't want to rush through everything. This is extremely important. So I think I can get it through in the normal time. But if I can't, all right, and you need to go somewhere because it's Labor Day, then you do that. Don't, you, don't, don't worry about it. Just I'm not going to worry about how long I take either, all right? So Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10, it says this, Early in the morning... All the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied, if that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. I think somewhere along the line in our lives, we've all done something that we regret. If, you're old, if you are old enough to be hearing my voice just about, you have probably done something in your life that you regret. We've sinned and we, we feel remorse. We feel this guilt. Maybe your relationship with Christ was really strong in the past and then you did something along the way and, and you just can't seem to overcome that. And so you've never been able to reconnect with God in the way that you, you were in the very beginning. It was like this side road that you took and you could never get back on the main path. And then you hear the voice of the enemy just echoing in your head over and over and over again. You can't undo it. You did it. You're stuck with it. You did it and whatever you did, that's what Satan is saying. Whatever you, whatever you chose to do at that point, whatever, that point in history, you are stuck with it. Deal with it. And the sound of condemnation keeps ringing in your ears like 30 pieces of silver along the floor of your heart. It just rings in your ears and you can't seem to let it go. You, you haven't, obviously, you haven't run out and hung yourself. But honestly, your future, the rest of your life, your future hangs in the balance. If you don't get this right, if you don't deal with this, if you don't let it go, if you don't, if you don't get to the point where you can forgive yourself, then your future hangs in the balance. There's another story in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, and it's in an example of the woman caught in adultery. So first you have Judas, then you have the woman, the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees got together and they basically wanted to trap and humiliate Jesus. And they use this woman, this woman as bait. This is exactly what's going on. Okay, they don't, they hate him. They want to, they want to catch him. And so they, they figure, okay, the law says that if a woman commits adultery, that you are to stone her. 
So they bring this woman to Jesus and they want Jesus to basically condemn her. They want him to they they want to hum, they, they want to humiliate her, but they also want to humiliate him. So they drag this woman. OK, you have to get the whole picture here. In order for you to stone a woman by Jewish law, you have to catch her in the act. OK, them both the man, and the woman. It can't be her coming out the door. Hey, what were they doing in there? You have to physically see the act, okay? So somehow they catch this woman in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus to pass judgment, okay? So now you have Jesus. He's, he's kind of caught between, between those who want to throw stones in a hard place, right? They're standing there with their rocks and they're saying, okay, woman, we caught her, we caught her. There's a whole bunch of witnesses. Now what do you say? The, the law says to stone her. What do you say? And they're trying to catch him. Okay, they're trying to catch him. And I, as I read the story, uh, the more I read the story, more I am just captivated by how Jesus handles and deals with these men. Instead of answering, instead of answering their question, he reframes the conversation and takes control. You know, he starts, you know, bends down, starts writing on the ground. But he reframes the conversation and he takes control. He, he, he turns the table on their legalistic mindset. Okay? So they, they think we got him. How is he going to get out of this one? But he turns the table on their legalistic mindset. And in, instead of examining the law, which they want him to do, he forces them to examine their hearts. Because that's what Jesus really cares about. Jesus cares about the heart. And Jesus knew exactly how they caught this woman in adultery. He knew they were setting him up. They knew, he knew, he could read their minds. He knew it was on their minds. And so he reframes the question, takes control, and makes them examine their hearts instead of them making him examine the law. Okay, so we have that all set up. And then I, I started to think, and this is where, this is where you have to kind of really get with me here. Have you ever thought about how this woman felt? I mean, I want you to, I really want you to go into your heart and go into your mind and try to understand how this woman would be feeling. You've just been caught in the act of adultery. Okay? And this immoral and ethical and legal, whatever word you want to use, against the law of God kind of thing, and you've been dragged out of where you are, you're dragged out of where, caught in the act, drag you out in front of, it said a crowd had gathered, so in front of your friends, your neighbors, your relatives. I don't know how she was dressed, but I can guarantee you, maybe she had time to throw something over herself, okay, because they weren't going to give her that opportunity. Drag her out of there, caught in the act, drag her out. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine the fear can you imagine uh, just the, the how, how she she must have, I mean, been so ashamed and afraid. I mean, she knows, the, the you know, she's been caught. Now she's going to be stoned. She's seen other women in the past who were stoned. So you can imagine she is not only she's afraid for her life, but she's standing there completely broken and humiliated. And I, 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 it kills me too. I'm asking myself the question, where's the man in all this, right? It takes two to tango. And if you really start studying this, you realize he's probably in cahoots with the leaders, the elders and the Pharisees. 
Because he's nowhere to be found. Where, they should drag him out too and put him before. They don't do that because he, they probably set it up. I'm, I'm, I am, I am, you know, reading between the lines. But if he's not there, he must have been a part of it. How did they know she's going to be committing adultery at that point? They must have set her up, okay? Set her up to set Jesus up to humiliate both people. But where's the guy in all this? So you can imagine she gets dragged out on her own, standing before Jesus, and Jesus deals with it by saying this, right? You remember? He was without sin. He cast the first stone. Can you imagine their faces? I love it too, because he, he basically confronts them. He who is without sin, you cast the first stone. The, the fact that they, they pulled this on him is a sin in the first place. But he is without sin, cast a first stone. Then he looks her right in the eye and he says this, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replies, No one, sir. Then Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Now, I often wonder, Did this is where I want you to keep hanging there with me. I often wonder, did she take Jesus' words to heart? If she was she able to overcome the stony, she didn't get stoned, but the the stony looks and the stony heart of the people who were a part of all that. Everyone knew, right? It was a big. It was you know dragging someone out, caught in adultery. Crowd had gathered around. Sure, if some were relatives, I'm sure some were friends. I'm all of her neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Could, did she take Jesus' word to heart? Go and sin no more. Your sins are, he didn't, he said, you, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. From God's perspective, it's done. As far as the east is from the west, this woman has been forgiven by God face to face. But my question is, is she able in the future to overcome the stony stares and the, and the, the stony heart of the people who would still feel like, what a, you caught, you know, can you, that's the woman, that's the woman, that's the woman. Can you imagine? Were, were his words received in a way that allowed her to forgive herself is the question. Jesus, God forgave her. Jesus forgave her face to face. But were his words taken in such a way in her heart that she could actually forgive herself and break free from the shame and, the, and the, just the, the brokenness of what she had experienced? Or... Did that event become her son? And we talked about this. The son, S-U-N. Did that event, did her life revolve around that event? Did that event become her son? That's the question. It's at times like this, you know, I'm dating myself. You remember Paul Harvey, right? Paul Harvey? Because you don't get the whole, you know, I, I would love to know the rest of the story, right? I would love to know the, the rest of the story, most of in this, in this room, because most people in this room, including me, have done something in their lives that are immoral, right? You have broken a promise to your children or your wife or your husband or a friend. You've wronged someone that you love. You have disappointed someone in your life that, that you love. You've disappointed them. You, you haven't followed through. And, 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 and we all know the guilt and the shame when we do that. When we, we break a, a confidence, you know, you, someone tells you something and, and you, it let it, you let it slip out. Or you, you actually tell, you know, you consciously say something and that gets back to that person. You have wronged that person and the shame that you feel that you broke that confidence. 
See, in most cases, in those situations, think about this. In most cases, what I just described, you broke a promise. I've broken promises before. Oh, we're going to do this and we can't do it. And I ask for forgiveness. And in most cases, what I just described, you get forgiven. Your counselor that you go to because you're feeling so bad about whatever you've done has said to you, you need to let it go. The person has forgiven you, blah, 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 you know, and God forgives you if you go to a Christian counselor and, and you need to let it go. Or a pastor or, or your Bible study leader has told you that God has forgiven you and he broke out a Bible and everything and he went from chapter to chapter and he, wrote, he read you like three or she read you like three or four verses on forgiveness as far as the east from the west so far as he separated our sin from us and gave you all the theology behind it, right? To tell you that you're forgiven. But somehow, you are still having a very difficult time forgiving yourself. See, and that's what we're talking about this morning. I want to talk about what it means. What does it mean to forgive yourself? What does it truly mean to forgive yourself? There are some sins in our lives, all of us here, that we can let go of. You know, you do something, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. God forgive me. And you know, you've never even thought about it. You can't even remember all the times you said you're sorry. And you're, but there are other things in your life that you've asked forgiveness for. And God has forgiven you. But you cannot let it go. You cannot forgive yourself. So before we can, before we can really let go of the past... We need to let go of some stinking thinking. That's what I call it. Okay? You all have some stinking thinking. Alright? So I want to try to alleviate you of your stinking thinking this morning with what is it? What is, forgiving yourself. What does it mean? Alright? There's eight of these. Number one. Okay? Number one. You have to own your sin. Forgiving, forgiving yourself means owning your sin. You need to own your sin. You can, you can only forgive yourself if you truly and completely own your sin. One of the greatest verses in the Bible about this is Psalm 51. Okay, and I'm going to read it in a second, but I'm going to give you a little background. You've got to own your sin. So David, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, King David, right? Sees her on the roof, you know the whole story, looks at her, he's the king, so he gets her, and, you know, he, they sleep together, and, you know, David, you know, so he commits adultery. And then Nathan, I'm, you know, I'm cutting along here, but Nathan comes along, or Prophet Nathan comes along and says to David, hey, hey David, I, I want to tell you a story about, uh, he confronts David, David doesn't know it yet, but he says, I want to tell you a story about this rich guy and this poor guy. And he goes and tells a story about the rich guy who owns tons of sheep and, and cattle and all kinds of stuff. And this poor guy who had one little ewe lamb. And the guy would literally like sleep with the, he would let him, the lamb sleep with him. And his, little, his girls loved the lamb. And the whole family loved this lamb. And they treated it like one of their own daughters. And, and he just loved this one little lamb he had. So the rich guy's friends come to town. And instead of taking one of the zillions of cattle or sheep that he has, he snatches the lamb from the poor guy, kills it, and feeds it to, the, to, the, uh, to his friends. And David has just lost his mind. He says, as sure as the Lord lives, this man must be put to death. He must pay four times what he did, and blah, 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 and goes off, and he's just seething. And Nathan says to, something to him. He says, you are the man. See, we don't want to hear we are, I am, I am the man or I am the woman. We want to look at everybody else and say that. But if we're truly going to forgive ourselves, we first off need to own our own sin. So David, when confronted with Bathsheba and what he's done, he writes this. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Psalm 51. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I mean, feel, feel what he's writing here. Okay, this isn't just... For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach. This is awesome because I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you do not despise. That is owning your sin. But we get now and from our leaders now, yeah, well, I did something wrong. And, you know, well, well, you know, every, every, everybody does it. That's the answer we get, right? Everybody does it. That's not owning your sin. You broke the law. You sinned. That's not owning your sin. I need to own my sin. If I truly want to forgive myself, the first thing I need to do is own my sin. Take responsibility for it. Number two, what does it mean to forgive yourself? It means getting down off the cross, okay? Getting down off the cross and accepting God's grace. We can love ourselves because God loves us, including all of our sin. God loves us. He loves us. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, We love because He has first loved us. You know, you say, you know, I'm not sure you understand. You're talking about this stuff, but you don't understand what I've done. And I'm going to read you John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. See, what you think in your mind, your own made-up theology, your own made-up little view of what you've done and what God thinks about it is just in your mind. It's stinking thinking. What I'm saying is that if you've done something and truly taken responsibility for it and asked God to forgive you, you are forgiven. Let me give you a theological lesson real if you don't understand this, okay? Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. When I reach my hand, okay, when, when, when I, I'm here, I'm, I'm down and I'm just broken and I'm a sinner and I recognize that. Jesus Christ holds one hand up to God and one hand down to me. Okay, and bridges the gap between me and God. Not only that, when I ask Christ to come into my life, Jesus is standing right in front of me. So when God the Father sees Jeff, first thing he sees is Jesus. He doesn't see me. I'm covered by the blood of Christ. See, that's what we don't understand. We think it's like, well, we have to carry this burden around. We've done this, so God is always going to be upset with us. That's not true. Why? Because in standing with God, I'm perfect. Not because I'm perfect, but because of what a perfect Jesus did for me. So when God the Father sees me, he doesn't see Jeff Greer. He sees Jesus Christ, and he sees Jeff Greer covered in the blood of Christ. 
So when I ask for forgiveness, I have an advocate who goes to the Father in my defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. These are, these are, these are realities of life that sometimes we don't understand. So when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You can only forgive yourself when you realize that God loves you and He has forgiven you through Jesus Christ. Fact. End of story. Exclamation point. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. Recognizing God recognizes our sin. He recognizes our failures. He knows past, present, and future. Everything we've done, will do, okay, or will do, and still loves us. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. So forgiving yourself also means, number three, seeing yourself through the right lenses. Hear me on this one. If you have fallen asleep somehow, you need to wake up, okay? You need to see yourself through the right lenses. Okay, once you've recognized your sin and you confessed your sin, here's the thing. Listen to me, okay? You are not your worst moment. I want, you have to have that sink in. You are not your worst moment. I want you to say out loud, okay, on the count of three, I am not my worst moment. One, two, three. I am not my worst moment. You've got to say it with some enthusiasm. I'm, I'm up here waving my hands and preaching. Okay, so I, I want to I say one, two, three again. And you need to say it like you actually mean it, okay? One, two, three. I am not my worst moment. I'm not my worst moment. I'm not my worst season. You went through some alcohol problems or drug problems or you, you did maybe have an affair or whatever the case may be, but you've repented of that and you've asked God to forgive you and you've reconciled those relationships. You are not your worst moment. You are not your, your worst season of your life. I am not the worst moment. There are things I remember as a kid. I was remembering recently, I never picked on people when I was growing up. I hardly, I said never, hardly ever, but I was, I recall a time in front of the bowling alley where there was a guy, didn't particularly like him too much, but I, I, I knew I could take him, so I, I started, you know, bugging him, taunting him. And he was afraid, and so, but I just kept on taunting him. It bothers me to think about that. But if I sit around and think, that's who I am, the guy who goes around and bothers other people or picks on other people, I did that one time. I picked on someone one time. All right? that is, that's a bad moment in my life, something I remember. But it is not who I am. That's my worst moment. That's not my worst moment. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's nowhere near my worst moment, okay? But I am not my worst moment. I am not my worst season of life. For goodness sake, go before I was a Christian. The year before I was a Christian, I was drunk so often, it was unbelievable. I hated people so much, I would have killed someone given the opportunity if there was no one to catch me. There's certain people in my life, given the opportunity, I was so angry because of how I grew up and the things that happened to me. I was so angry, given the opportunity, I'm not sure I would have really harmed someone given the opportunity. That's not who I am. That was a bad season of my life. I didn't know the Lord. I did not know Christ. That's not who I am. I am not my worst moment. You are not your worst moment. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul did some horrible things in his life. Paul did some horrible things. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I have acted in because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul did not own his identity as a persecutor and a blasphemer and an angry and a violent man. He did not own that. Okay, he recognizes he he had done that, but he did not own that. That that sin did not define his life. Was he sorry for it? Sure. Absolutely, he was sorry for it. But those things that he did before in his life, that he did out of ignorance in some ways, did not define who he was. Why? Because he accepted God's mercy and forgiveness. He was given a fresh start. He was given a do-over. And he took advantage of that. And he tried to live his life that in a life in a way that honored God. And he took that and used those experiences to invest and help other people. He did not own the fact that he was this person in this season of his life. He did those things. He used those things to glorify God in the future. But he was a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He was not those events. He was not that moment. He was not that season. Number four, defining yourself by God's love for you. In Romans chapter eight, I mean, Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you knowing that you were going to do the thing that's stuck in your head right now. He loved you so much. You know why? Because he knows you're not your worst moment. He knows that. He created you. He designed you. He loves you. He knows that you are, he, he created you for a specific purpose to impact this world for, for, his, for his glory. And that's who you are. And even though you've gotten off the path, even though you've made some mistakes, God can still all, God works out all things for the good of those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. All things, not just the good things, not just the nice things, all things. Give Him a chance and He'll turn whatever you did into something good because He's that great. He knows your identity. And he believes in you, I think, more than you believe in yourself. He designed you for a specific purpose, to make an impact in this world. Don't you waste your life holding on to something that he's already forgiven you for. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Listen to this. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's, that's who we are. God has designed us. He has purposed us. He has created us to do good works for him. And though we've gotten off track, and though we may not live that way, that doesn't mean we can't start this morning living that way. See, you've got to remember, you're so valuable to him that he paid the debt for your sins, knowing what your sins are. He paid the debt for those things. That leads us to number five. Setting yourself free to live differently. Remember we're talking about that story of the, the woman caught in adultery, okay? Um, forgiveness does not mean, did not mean now that she continues to commit adultery. On, on the contrary, it meant being set free to no longer commit adultery. When Jesus said, is anyone here to condemn you? And she said, no, sir, no one's here. Neither do I condemn you. It doesn't mean he didn't judge her. He did judge her. 
He said, go and sin no more. The difference between judgment and condemnation. He's not going to say, you're, you, you, look at you. You got dragged. You were just sleeping with the guys, not your husband. Your life is over. I'm done with you. I don't want to hear it. Nope. La, 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 la. I don't care what you say. La, 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 la. Right? That's not what he did. I don't want to hear anything about it. Nope. You've had your chance. I wash my hands of you. Go straight to hell. That's not what he said. First, he confronted everyone else. Then he confronted her and said, listen, I forgive you. Therefore, you're not condemned. Go and sin no more. Do not go back to the life you once had. On the contrary, go live a different life. See, forgiving yourself doesn't mean overlooking or, and continuing. It doesn't mean that you overlook and continue in your sin. It means you live a different life. It means you break free. The, the song we sang in the last song, break, it, break every chain, break every chain. That's what it means. You break every chain. You break the chain of the sin that's holding on to you so that you can live for God and live a different life. You, you, you're holding on. You can't forgive yourself. And it's because you can't forgive yourself, the enemy's like, well, took care of that and let's move on to somebody else. Because now they're completely, they can't be used of God because I've got them. They're all, all like worried and what if someone finds out or whatever else the case may be and I'm not worthy and I can never serve God again the same way. And so he's, he's basically rendered you ineffective for the rest of your life. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and live differently. Go and live a different life. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, go and live a different life. See, if she continued to define herself by her worst moment, think about this. If she continued to define herself by her worst moment, then she had no reason to change. She had no reason to stop. This is who I am. And see, some of you do this. Okay? You do. Well, I, um, you know, I did this. So what's the difference? Since I did this, what's the difference? It doesn't matter. Now I've ruined everything. What's the difference? I cheated on my taxes last year. So now I'm going to cheat on them every year after that. And I'm going to fix the books at work. And I'm going to lie about this. That, that's ridiculous. Uh, that one guy said he really loved me. And he said he wanted to marry me. And, and, I, and we, so we slept together. Because he said, if you love me, you'll let me. And, and I slept with him. So if I slept with him, look what I've done. I've slept with him. I might as well sleep with every guy that I date from here on out. I mean, that's the mindset. I've thrown it all away. I've given it all up. So why not just go full long into that's what Satan wants you to do. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. But first John one nine says, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive me of my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness. I get to start over. I get to start over. See, theologically, we get Satan lies to us. We believe the lies instead of believing the truth. If I confess my sin, I slept with this guy, I slept with that girl. Do you continue to do that? Because, oh, now you've done it. No, you go back to where, what the word of God says. How do you handle yourself from here on out? Jesus said, I'm not condemning you. That was a sin. You asked for forgiveness. Yes, I have. Go and sin no more. Okay, I'll do my best. And when you mess up, I still love you. Go and sin no more. Keep fighting. Keep walking. keep, Keep driving forward. See, She was defined by God's love so she could live differently. Forgiving yourself doesn't mean just, like I said, it doesn't mean just overlooking. It means that you you start to live in such a way that honors God. And when you fall short of that, you ask for forgiveness and you keep moving forward. Okay, number six. Listen to me. Stop punishing yourself. 
You think that you did this and so what will make it better is that you keep punishing yourself. And so you, you, you punish yourself and you think if I just punish myself, uh, you beat yourself up, uh, it'll make up for all the wrong you've done. What do we say in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Punishing yourself is kind of like works. I'm going to punish myself for what I've done and that's going to make up for all the things that I've done. That, that, let me just say something. First, that is an insult. And I don't mean, to, I'm not being aggressive. I'm trying to mean to be aggressive or anything. That is an insult, okay, to the God who forgave you and saved you and hung on a cross for you. I'm going to say it again. Get down off the cross, okay? You don't belong there. Get down off the cross. Someone already went to the cross for that sin, Okay, and you putting yourself back on the cross and punishing yourself for something you've done that you ask forgiveness for is an insult to the face of God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, a perfect lamb sacrifice to put away all of our sins as far as the east is from the west. So do not climb back up on the cross and think somehow by you punishing yourself, that's going to make it all work out. Jesus death on the cross was sufficient for your sin. You don't understand my sin. No one in this room, okay, has done something that is so unbelievable that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover it, okay? And the thought is, is, it's just wrong. I don't, I don't know what a word, I don't want to use a more aggressive word. It's just, it's just wrong. His sacrifice on the cross dealt with your sin, past, present, and future. Let me say that again. His death on the cross dealt with your sin, Past, present, and future. First John 2, 1 and 2 says this. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. Go and sin no more, right? All right, you're dismissed. That's not, what it, that's not how it ends. It says, but, knowing we're going to, okay? But if anyone does sin, we have one who goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, Okay? We have one who goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. You have been forgiven. Stop punishing yourself. That's not a suggestion. I love you. Stop it. Okay? If you continue to do that, you're sinning. How's that? If you continue to punish yourself, you're sinning. You're not doing good. You're doing wrong. So stop punishing yourself. Number seven, stop sabotaging your life. Stop sabotaging your life. When you don't forgive yourself, you, what you're doing is you're seeking out, like I said, you're seeking out punishment. And what you're basically doing is sabotaging your life. Something good happens and you, it can't happen. It can't be good because you've done this thing and so you don't deserve you can't imagine that God would actually bless you. He may put up with you. Here's what, you're, here's what the enemy thing is saying to you. He may put up with you, but the idea of doing good to you in your life and blessing you, that's, that's ridiculous. You're lucky he puts up with you. That's what you think. That's completely unbiblical. You can't accept his blessing, okay? And you really, or, or even enjoy the blessings because you think that your sin means that you don't deserve those things anymore. Well, I have something that says the opposite. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. God has forgiven you 
in Jesus Christ so that you can receive every blessing, okay? All the blessings that come from Jesus Christ. So stop, when God brings blessing into your life and good into your life, okay, and joy into your life, stop sabotaging it, okay, and thinking, no, I don't deserve this. I did something so bad. I don't deserve this. And stop sabotaging it because that is also a sin. He says, I want to bring blessing into your life. Forgiving yourself means seeking and accepting God's blessing for your life without sabotaging those blessings and that goodness. Number seven. Number eight. Here's a tough one. This is really, it keep getting worse, don't they? <laughs> keep getting more and more difficult. Number eight. Letting go of what everyone else thinks of you. Letting go of what everyone else thinks of you. I wish, I wish that I could say that because um, that person forgave you or God forgave you, all right, uh, I wish I could say this, that because you forgave yourself, I take that back. Let me step back a second. I wish I could say because you forgave yourself and that God forgave you, that that person's going to forgive you as well. What the person you have harmed or the thing you have done, but I can't, okay? Sometimes it doesn't work that way. God forgives you. You should forgive yourself, but sometimes the person you harm just will not forgive you. And, and uh, it's, why, it's why I kind of asked the question earlier about the woman caught in adultery. That's why I started out with that question. Was she able to, you know, think about it. Um, I would love to have watched her life when I said, you know, Paul Harvey, you know, um, let me tell you the rest of the story. I would have liked to have seen her life a few weeks after, a few months after, a few years after. Could she forgive herself and live with the stares and the unforgiveness of maybe other people? Could she, could she do that? Could she overcome, here's the thing, could she overcome what people thought? You walk around, you know you've, you've, God has forgiven you, and you know, but that person or those people have not forgiven you. Can, can, you, still, can you still survive that? Can, can you let go of what everyone else thinks? If you've wronged someone, listen, if you've wronged someone and you've asked for forgiveness... You've wronged someone and you begged for forgiveness and that person has not forgiven you. There comes a point, hear me out, in your life where you need to, you need to live your life for Jesus Christ and not for that person's forgiveness. I know, I know that's hard, um, but that's what needs to happen. Always be ready to receive it if they choose to give it. Always be ready to receive it. Don't be bitter and angry because they're not giving it and pray that God would, would work in their hearts. Just pray that God would work. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4 says that we are required to forgive each other. We're required by God to forgive each other. Why? Because everything I just talked about, God has forgiven us. And God's saying, I forgave you of everything. Even the, the past sins you haven't even, even, even done yet. If you ask me, I'll forgive you for those. And he's saying that you need to forgive each other. But if the person doesn't forgive you, you need to leave that to the Holy Spirit. You need to leave the Holy Spirit to talk to that person's heart. You know, forgiving ourselves means that we don't base our spiritual walk on what others think, but we base our spiritual walk on what Jesus Christ has said about us and what he has done for us. Forgiving ourselves means that we believe in God's grace and forgiveness in our, in our lives. And we live our lives in that way. It, it, it's not what others say about you that matters. 
but it's what God believes about you that matters. And honestly, what you believe about yourself that will determine your destiny. It's what you believe about yourself and what God has done in your life that will determine your destiny. You know, we need to give ourselves, we need, well, actually, we need to give the other person time to heal and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. We need to allow that person that time. But your job is to walk with the Lord and move forward. Don't be angry because they didn't forgive you, but just give them time, walk with the Lord, and move forward. We are allowed to love ourselves despite our sin. We are allowed to forgive ourselves despite our sin. God has forgiven us. I know it's not easy, and I know it is a work in progress, and I know that we need to continue to grow through this process, but we can do it. It takes, listen, it takes courage to let go. It, it takes it takes incredible courage to to let that go, to let it all go. It takes it takes strength and it takes faith to believe and have faith that what lies before you is greater than what lies behind you. Are you hearing that? It takes courage, it takes faith, it takes strength to believe that what lies in front of you is greater than what lies behind you. You need to realize, okay? You need to realize this in your mind. You need to to understand this. What you allow to dominate your mind will dictate your destiny. It will dictate your choices. It will control your life. You need to... Do you want to embrace your destiny? Or do you want to continue to flounder in your history? Do you want to embrace your destiny or do you want to continue to flounder in your history? Because that's what so many people are doing. They're floundering in their history. My friend, if you want to live, if you, I don't mean exist. I didn't say exist. If you want to live the second half of your life, you're need to, you're going to need to let go of some of the first half of your life. I was standing with my father one time and he was apologizing to me for some things that happened in the past. That's in his 70s. First time we ever had this conversation. And I said to him, Dad, you know what? It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. We need to finish well. What you did does not define who you are. What you did does not define who you are. But you're letting it. You're letting it define your relationships with God. You're letting it define your relationship with your husband, with your wife, maybe. Maybe with your kids, with your co-workers, with your friends. You're letting it define who you are. That stops this morning. Bow your heads with me. You need to ask Christ first and foremost to forgive you. And once you ask for that, you need to forgive yourself. And you need to move forward. You need to say to yourself, I'm forgiven. And I forgive myself. There are some scrolls in the back. They set the fence up and there's some little scrolls in the back. There's some paper back there. And I want you to write down. You don't have to give any detail. But I want you to write down in generalities what it is that is gripping your life and keeping you from being the person God created you to be. Not forgiving yourself. I want you to write that down. You need to leave it behind this morning. You need to leave it behind. 
And first and foremost, if there are people here this morning that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot leave here this morning without talking to me or another staff person or someone that we can get together and talk you through that. Because without that relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just stuck. You're burdened with that backpack of rocks that you're carrying around. You need to let it go and you need to leave it at the cross. Don't leave here this morning without talking to someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we give you this time, Lord God. We give it to you. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Guys, leave here. Go back there. Leave it Leave it behind. Don't walk out of this place the same way as when you walked in. I love you. Have a great week.